Attention all women seeking a revolution in pleasure. Dive into a world of empowerment. The OMG Yes Women's Sexual Health Library is here. Backed by groundbreaking research, OMG Yes is on a mission to break taboos and make understanding female pleasure open and honest. Unlock the secrets with the sexual knowledge of 20,000 women in just minutes. Animations, videos, audio, or text. And here's the game changer. It's only a one-time payment for a lifetime of access. Click the link in our show notes for a limited time deal of only $49. Pay once and get the whole library forever. Don't miss out on this limited offer. Welcome to the Wisconsin Wellness Podcast. I'm Lori Grow, your host, mental health therapist, and practice owner. Each month, we'll showcase a central theme and provide weekly practical hacks, inspiring interviews, and valuable advice from wellness professionals. Our aim is to help you streamline your wellness and mental health journey. So let's start the show. might be able to tell that I'm recording despite my cold, my voice sexier, like that raspy type of thing. When you're sick and you want to re-record your outgoing voicemail so that you sound real sexy. Yeah, that's not what's happening today. I sound very nasally. So I sound more I sound more nerdy. Hey, hey, welcome to my show versus the sultry side of me. Anyways, welcome to the Wisconsin Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Grow, and today we have a captivating, mind-blowing discussion on how your brain might hinder your relationships. So when I say that out loud, it actually makes a ton of sense. It's not really mind-blowing. Your brain might get in the way of your heart. That actually sounds more cliche than anything. However, we're going to be talking about it in a way of cognitive biases and how our brain functions, how some of those same things that have kept us alive for so long get in the way of our two-day moments in our relationships. I'm hopeful that when we're talking about the biases, that you're going to recognize some that you might be doing and being gentle with yourself on those because that is how our brains are wired. And it is important to recognize that these biases are well-studied, well-documented. I will include some research articles as well for the nerds out there, the psychology nerds like myself that might want a little bit additional reading after the podcast. And just so that you know, I'm not just making all this stuff up. So we'll be talking about a few different biases today, biases that our brain does to us. Yes, we're a victim of our own brain and how you can overcome them. 
I want you to think back to a time in your life where someone walked into the room and your heart stopped because they were that stunning. Think about that moment and think about what happens after that. If you've talked to the person right after, you might start to get to know them and whatever else. If you tend to be shy, you might just think I should have talked to that person. Whatever next step you take, there is one thing that is pretty common throughout humanity. And that is that if we notice a trait that is extremely positive, if it's something we value a lot, and let's be honest, it's attractiveness in our culture, we will start to then think that person has all of these other qualities. Let's take a situation, and I'm going to illustrate it by using a celebrity because that helps a bit. So let's say you see... hmm, Tay Diggs. Okay, that's my that's one of my top five for sure. Don't tell my husband about it, but he's my top. No, he knows. My husband knows about it. So thinking about that, okay? So it helps me to have an actual example. Let's say I see him and he's beautiful, right? And I assume all of these additional traits about him. He's intelligent, he's kind sensitive. I'm starting to imagine all of these things that he would have. So he walks into the room and I might have all of these other thoughts about what he's like. And because I would be attracted to him, I would imagine all of these additional qualities. That's what our brain does. But there's a negative to that. And that's that we actually keep that at the forefront, even when we see some evidence against the opposite. An example of a study done by Landy and Seagull, male students were asked to rate essays written by female authors. The quality of the essays varied. Some were poorly written and others were well-written. Some of the essays were accompanied by a photograph of the author who is either attractive or unattractive. I really would like to see more information on that. However, that's what they deemed these women. Male college students rated the quality of the essays and the talents of the authors higher when the essay was written by an attractive author. They also noticed that this effect was really evident only when that essay was of poor quality. What that means is the attractive authors, when they were thought to have written a poor essay, were given a better score. They believed these attractive women were more talented, even though there was clear evidence that they weren't very good at it, right? So what's the lesson here? Could gather a ton of different lessons. Maybe I need to be looking more attractive, right? Really, what I want you to do is to recognize that we might all do this. So if you are in the situation where you are dating, just beginning to date, this would be a good spot to focus in on because it gives us a huge blind spot and we have to acknowledge the fact that it's there if we want to have more successful, healthy relationships. If we have that piece of information, 
we can be a bit more discerning when we are trying to figure out if this person is a match for us. I could go on and on about different realities when it comes to who we pick as partners. But for today, we're going to talk about how brain biases gets in the way of seeing a person fully. We start to recognize, oh, that person isn't good at everything. That's a typical stage. Every relationship has it. That stage is where you then start to decide, is this somebody that I can be with long term? Let's say you're in a cave and you see a shadow. Much better to think that shadow is a lion than a chipmunk with the lighting creating an illusion that is much bigger. It's a safer bet. And our mind is built for that. And that's the negativity bias. We will have a tendency to see the negative easier. Again, our brains are built for survival. Brains are supposed to help us survive, help us mate. They aren't necessarily built to have a long-lasting, totally magical relationship for 50 years. Our brains really aren't built that way. That doesn't mean that we can't have that. The negativity bias is one that sticks out. It's there because it's better to err on the side of the negative for safety reasons. The way to move through that bias is by actively shifting ourselves and practicing gratitude, practicing finding the positives, practice appreciation. You have to actively do that or the negativity will take over because that's what is useful for our survival. A lot of, a lot of times clients will come in and, and be distraught really by that negativity piece. Like, why can't I just find the good in this person? And there's something wrong with the relationship because I cannot find the good in this person right now. There could be something significant. However, you could start the work on yourself and see if that might be it first. My goal is to help us focus in and reflect more on what we can do within our control. It's, it will never be how can we get a person to do this or do that. To me, that is a, a direct thing you can do in order to shift out of the negativity bias and get into a space of feeling differently about what is happening in your life. But it is helpful to know that's how our brains are wired, that it's not your fault. Next, we're going to be talking about something somewhat similar, which is the confirmation bias. If you've ever found yourself fixating on behaviors that confirm your preconceptions, that's confirmation bias. It leads us to favor information that supports our existing beliefs. So this is something that is common in individual work and couples work. You can see this in politics, religion, everyday interactions. It can be a hindrance to critical thinking and open-mindedness. This confirmation bias can lead us to ignore or dismiss information that would contradict our beliefs, making it really difficult to shift what you believe or what somebody else believes, confirmation bias 
will often lead us to ignore or dismiss that information. Where it's a problem in the relationship is that if we have the belief that their partner doesn't love them, or they might think and believe, I am unlovable. We might not know that's what's the driving underlying force, but that is really common that somebody believes that they're unworthy or unlovable. So I just wanted to point that out. If somebody believes that their partner doesn't love them and they are unlovable, they will notice so many more unloving acts. They will notice so many different things that occur that prove that they are unlovable. So there's that adage of, you got to love yourself before anyone else can love you. This is actually why. Because it doesn't even matter if somebody loves you. If you don't love yourself and feel like you are a lovable person, you won't be able to see it even if it's there. I'm going to have you do an exercise. And for the love of God, do not do this while you're driving. Pull over. Just pull over if you want to do this exercise so bad. Okay, now my conscience is clear. I want you to look around the room you're in and notice everything in that room that's white. Take a moment. Now close your eyes. With your eyes still closed, list those things that are white. Use your fingers to count. With your eyes still closed, don't open those cute little things. With your eyes still closed, I want you to list all of the gray things that are in the room. Okay, what did you notice about that? Most of us will have significantly more white things than gray things. And that's not because there's more white things in the room. By the way, this works much better if I'm in my own office and I know everything that's in the room. I also see that effect when you get a new car, right? And now it seems as though everybody has it, right? So there's evidence in our day-to-day life to showcase that we do this. In the relationship, if we believe we are unlovable, we will see all of those things. Same thing if we believe that that our partner is selfish. We will see all of it. Every single thing they do. And most likely see when there's the exception to that. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't truth in some of our deciphering. That might be the tendency of your partner to be more selfish. However, if you were going to rank it and say, my partner's a 10 out of 10 on the selfishness scale, and that's unbearable to live with, what would it mean if they were more like a 6 out of 10? And that 6 out of 10 would be something you could actually do yourself. What would that change for you? Again, little sidebar. Does not mean you just accept a bunch of negative behavior. It's not what I'm saying with this. I'm saying try it out and see see if you can do some of that work. Write down one of the most negative qualities that you identify about your partner and actively look for the exceptions. Next up, we have the priming effect. The priming effect occurs when an individual's exposure to a certain stimuli influences their responses to other people. When we're talking about that with 
a relationship, it's a little bit different. It has more to do with the anticipation of what somebody will do. One of the most common things I see is that priming can have such a powerful effect on our thoughts, behaviors, and mood. It is that process by which previous experiences and exposure to that thing influences our perceptions and our responses to the current situation. I do also believe history is the best form of knowing what somebody will do in the future, but it is leaving out an important factor, which is a catalyst of change. So if you're in therapy, couples therapy, your partner says, let's, we got to do this. I'm, I'm fed up. Let's go to couples therapy, which is usually how somebody comes in. All right, I'm here. I'm going to do the work. And one of the individuals starts really working on whatever it is that was a complaint. So it could be put one out there. Um, I want my partner connect with me more, reach out to me more, text me more often. Okay. What will happen when they start doing it? I'm sorry to say the answer is not. The person is now ecstatic and feels overjoyed and feels extremely connected. Nope. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't literally think that's ever happened in a couple's session where somebody does the thing and then the partners, oh my God, thank you. This is everything because priming is so impactful. What usually is said is I am just so annoyed that it takes therapy to get to this, to get this person to do what I think is a pretty reasonable request. So that's one. Another will pop up of, yeah, but it doesn't feel like anything because I told them to do that. And now it just feels as though they're just doing it to make me happy. Another would be, I'm just not feeling much. So there's all of these things that occur when a couple is trying to change. Why couples counseling might not work for some people isn't necessarily because they're not doing a good enough job, but it's that they might not actually understand that is the typical response in the built-in dynamic and system of the relationship. That is a normal response. That might not be true if you're doing like a premarital couples counseling or an earlier intervention, but most people come to therapy about six years after they felt like they should. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of priming time. A lot of time where these experiences are patternized. I don't even know. Is patternized a word so vital for the couple to really take that in and understand that? Because of this, it's not because either one of them don't want to work on the relationship or aren't doing a good enough job or one of them is that's what's happening here. The priming portion has to be noticed and it has to be worked on. Typically, what I would say to the couple would be, I don't want you to be predicting what they're going to do. Let's stop predicting. Focus your energy on not predicting the outcome. Because the actual prediction of the outcome will change your mood and you will be primed, heightened. You will have that emotion already before the thing happens. 
I'm hoping you all wanted to hear my special story about my wonderful, loving husband. Those of you that know me probably have heard this several times, and I wouldn't be able to tell this story if this was something that was still going on, right? And I can see what I was doing also in this scenario. So it's really, I'm not coming down on him. I'm actually, the focus is coming down on me, or really to be even more fair, the dynamic that was starting to take place. This was 15 years ago. I remember the day like it was yesterday. No, this was about 15 years ago, and I was therapist at an agency working. This is before I had my license, so I was working a lot of hours. Things are changing now for therapists, but it was hard, exhausting work because most therapists at the beginning of their, their career are working more than they should, way more, expected to do way more. Um, not putting into account that we are not machines and humans and taking in 40 clients a week with different problems and emotions. Not a great scenario. But during that time, I was so exhausted. I'd come home and on my drive home, it'd be like eight o'clock at night. Oh my gosh. If I get home and he is sitting on the couch eating a bag of Doritos again, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. And I would think about it and I would get all hot. I would get all, who does he think he is? All of that stuff would, oh my God. Yeah. So anyways, I would walk into the door and because he's just a normal person, some days he would be doing that and some days he wouldn't. If that was the case that he was sitting there, I would be like, oh, did you start the dinner? Oh, no. I'd be in there angrily getting whatever food we ate as like 20 year olds or whatever, which was really not that big of a deal to put like some chicken tenders in the oven. But I would be so upset and angry and I would be very passive aggressive about it, not requesting. I wasn't like, hey, would you mind getting this in the oven? I'll text you before I leave. Pretty sure they had texting back then. I'll text you before I leave. Could you do that? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'd just be like so grumpy coming in. Okay. You might identify with either one in that scenario, but it would make sense for most people to think, Lori, like that would be annoying, frustrating, whatever. But let's take the opposite scenario. So that same priming's happening. And if I get home, better not be eating those Doritos. And I get home and he's not doing that. My body does not know the difference. My mood, my system is already agitated. So that limits my threshold for anything frustrating. He could say one thing didn't come out right, all annoyed or frustrated by it. But it wasn't really about him in the situation. It was what I was doing in that situation. I wasn't communicating with him and requesting and asking really looking at it as, let's be a team, let's figure this out, what's going on here, we'd be able to figure it out really easily, actually. I'll, I'll say that we're pretty good at that. But that's not what we tend to go towards. We tend to go towards what we know. 
and some of those belief systems. One of the beliefs was that belief that I would not do that. So why would he do that? He's not necessarily recognizing that I might be exhausted. And the last thing I would want to do when I get home after seeing 10 clients and driving a half an hour both ways, I would want to do would be making dinner for us. (laughs) I would notice that, right? But that's another bias. I'm assuming that he is the same as me. And he's not. If we are not at all the same people. We are not at all the same people. So that's not a fair way to assess somebody. They must be a total jerk because they're not doing the thing that I would do. That error has to do with assuming your partner is going to act and behave the same way as you. Position, you are still you. If you are thinking about what does that person tend to do in this situation, you're starting to recognize what empathy really is and understanding really is. So I will leave you with that today. I want you to recognize those cognitive biases and see if you can challenge some of those. Look at my show notes. There's lots of different links in there for things we talked about today, different links on books, different resources, free webinars, free exercises. You can sign up for my newsletter and be more connected. Thanks for giving me your time. I don't take it for granted. I appreciate you and have a great day. Thank you for joining us today on the Wisconsin Wellness Podcast. Remember, your well-being is a priority. And we're here to help support you every step of the way. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast for more inspiring content on health and wellness. You can also join our Facebook group to connect with Wisconsin wellness providers by clicking the link in our show notes. Take care of yourself and remember that your well-being is a journey, not a destination. We look forward to you joining us again next time on the Wisconsin Wellness Podcast. Until then, stay well and stay inspired.